0: My name is TJ. For those of you who haven't met me yet, I'm not as exotic as people say that I am. I'm actually from the UK, just been away for a while. My wife is more exotic than me, that's for sure. And uh, you know, we've been away for the last seven or eight years, and uh, I've come back with uh, a whole clan now with kids, and i have got two kids, Ollie and Esme. Ollie's three and a half, Esme is one and a half. We were actually here in December 2021, that was the last time we were here, and Esme was just a newborn. She was, you know, days uh, you know, into this world. And so now she's coming back. She's a little toddler. She's full of energy. And um, great to have my parents here as well. Uh, my parents have come along today. <laughs> Excited to have them here. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just great to be back and uh, with uh, Thames Valley again. And uh, what a time to be coming back to the UK to visit. Um, of course, it's been a very English time to be back. With the, with the coronation. I've been having some coronation cupcakes, which has been nice. I even got some coronation socks, so I'm feeling, feeling very English. Um, and so that's been a special time to be back. It's also been raining quite a bit the past few days, so it's a very familiar welcome back to the UK, um, which, is, which has been nice. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting for us this year. We're moving back, um, catching up with so many of you. You know, we've, I think what, what really makes this place feel like home for us is, is also just the friendships that we've, we've kept over the years here, and, and, and those haven't changed. And so we, we, we treasure those friendships we have with the church here. We're also excited to get to know a lot of new people and new faces as well. Um, so, so I was actually in Thames Valley before I left. So this is definitely a, a spiritual home for me. Um, so many, you know, what I call uncles and aunties here as well that I look up to in the faith. Um, and so we've been living in Indonesia for the past seven years. And uh, we've been working with the church there. We've been building a young professionals, young adults uh, community in English. So it's, it's a new thing for the church there. We didn't have like an English speaking group. And so we, we helped to start an English speaking community for a lot of the young people that were coming back to Indonesia who studied overseas and they actually see English as their first language. So, so we kind of catered to that need. And I think God has really blessed that and, and the, the, the community has grown now. And so we're excited to be able to just share for you guys today. And I was thinking, okay, what could we share? And I'd come up with this, this topic of, of knowing God, and I had this, this title pre- uh, prepared, and the sermon prepared mentally. Then I went to my wife, who is the editor-in-chief, and I submitted for approval. And she said, no, 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 let's do something different. Let's talk about something that reflects our journey and our life and faith as well. And so we, we went back to the drawing board, and, and we've come up with a new, new thing to share <laughs> in the last couple of days. Uh, boss balancing two kids and, and, and traveling, um, but you know I wanted to talk about living a life of no reserve and no regret and i 'll explain where that that comes from, but essentially, what I want to talk about is that knowing God, knowing him, knowing Jesus actually is what allows you to live a life to the full, a life where you can you can say, I have no regrets, I left nothing on the table if we really know Jesus in the way that he wants to be known in the way that the Bible talks about knowing Him. Then, actually, we get this opportunity to live a life to the full, regardless of whether life is can seem very mundane or very routine, or whether life can be just crazy with work. I think we get the opportunity, knowing Jesus in our life, to live a life to the full. So, I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, so, let's let's uh, pray first before we jump into to the to the Word of God. Let's let's bow our heads and pray together father god lord we're grateful lord to to have the opportunity to know you to have relationship with you lord we're grateful for a spiritual family Uh, we can come here on a sunday we have a reason to to just know you and 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 walk with you god we're grateful to have people that care about us in our life father we know that's because of you Uh, i just pray lord that you can um speak through your word and speak through me today and I pray that what we discuss, what we learn today, Father, will will help us all to grow in in our conviction, to to really know you more deeply, to know you personally, to be excited about walking with you, and living out a life that that really reflects your love. Uh, so I pray that you be with us today, Lord, in this service today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So let's jump into John. I'm going to be pulling verses from a few different places today to talk about this theme of, of, of knowing God and living a life to the full. And in John 17, it says this, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life means actually knowing God. And the thing about eternal life when it talks about in the bible it's not something that just begins after we die it's not this distant concept that we we don't have any understanding of or experience of until we until we you know go to heaven it's actually something that exists today in the present uh, much in the same way that the kingdom of god is not something that just exists right after we die it's something that actually we have access to today it's alive today it's real and so knowing jesus and by, and by extension, knowing God, that is the beginning of eternal life, which is amazing when you think about it. That's how important it is that we know Jesus. God came down to earth 2,000 years ago, right? Lived for 30-plus years. He died, and he rose again. Everything prior to that moment was pointing towards that, right? The, the Old Testament was pointing towards that moment in history, and everything after that hangs off of that event, gets its meaning from what happened there. So knowing Jesus is the game changer. It's the point of the universe, Knowing, not just knowing about him, but really knowing him personally. So I want to talk a bit more about what that looks like. It says this as well in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, I used to spend a lot of time worrying, you know, am I living a life to the full, right? Am I doing enough? Am I giving enough? Is my life as, as glamorous as some of the other people's lives around me? And, and often, you know, we can find ourselves comparing our life to others. And as time has gone by, I think I've, I've realized, and I'm still, I think, figuring this out, but a life, a fulfilling life, doesn't mean a life that's filled full right we can have a very busy life but not necessarily a full fulfilling life or a meaningful life a life of of purpose of impact and knowing that I think has helped me to realize that when life can be quite you know mundane or quite routine you know when you get kids and you actually start settling into a routine a fulfilling life doesn't stop in fact we can actually find purpose and impact um, wherever we're at in life And I think what what I've realized is that it's not necessarily what's going on in your life that makes it fulfilling. It's actually about living a life where you are constantly knowing Jesus, having this relationship with him, this deep, intimate, personal uh, relationship that runs both ways. A life where God is not just intellectual to us, but there's an emotional connection with him. There's an excitement of knowing Jesus. There's a worship of him in your heart that leads to a difference in the way that you view life and the way that you, you live it. And I think that's something we can, we can lose as we kind of grow up in our spiritual lives. We can assume that what we had at the beginning will just always be there by default. And as life takes its toll on us, I think we can lose that hunger to really know him. So the connection that I'm trying to make here is that a life with no regrets A life with no reserves is a life where we live hungry to know Jesus. A rich and satisfying life, as this is also translated in other translations, a life to the full, a rich and satisfying life is one where we are in the pursuit of knowing him, of having this relationship with him. That's what makes life exciting and meaningful. Are we still hungry to know Jesus? are we still hungry to know him personally it still amazes me right that god came down to earth as a person right he could have remained a set of laws he could have remained a set of commandments we could know him by his commandments he could have just remained a philosophy and we could talk about god as a set of principles and arguments but we know that that's not how god presented himself god presented himself as a person right that means we can know him personally, deeply, as a relationship, as a friend, as a brother, as a father. And I think, you know, sometimes I can often feel this way, that, that as we grow, again, in our, in our spiritual life, we can feel like when we read the Bible, I've already read that, or, or I've seen that before, right, or, or it's not really new to me. And we can lose that sense of excitement of what it means to really know the person of Jesus. In a sense, we can reduce God to a a window of time in the day where we read text. And when it's not new to us, when the information has already kind of become known, it loses its excitement. And we forget that God actually is alive. He was a person. He is alive. He's a relationship to us. Yes, Jesus is the word of God, He was the word made flesh. He was someone that we can know and have the excitement of a journey of knowing him more deeply. I think, you know, if if you have friendships in the world that, you know, old friendships, sometimes you kind of do feel like, yeah, I kind of know what this person's like. Maybe if you've been married uh, for a while as well, for a few years, you can kind of take each other for granted, right? Like, I know what this person's gonna say. I know how this person's gonna react, right? And you kind of feel like you know i'm i i can i can mind read this person already at this point in time but relationships don't work like that right people grow and change and people you know can surprise us um we know that god doesn't change but we also know that god is alive he wants to be known as someone who is alive and working and 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 speaking to us and trying to tell us things at different times that we need to hear And maybe sometimes our disposition doesn't always allow for that. And so I think what it comes down to is our hunger to really know God personally. In Jesus' life, he interacted with thousands of people. How many of them really had the hunger to know him personally? We know in the book of Acts that there were only around 120 disciples before the the Pentecost. I'm not saying that that was all of the disciples that that were, were there, but... Jesus interacted with thousands of people. It's also interesting to me, you know, that scripture, there's a scripture in Matthew 7, where Jesus addresses people that call him Lord and do all these amazing things in his name, but he responds and he says, get away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. I never knew you. Not you never knew me, I never knew you. Which tells us that Jesus really wanted to know them, but also, perhaps, they didn't really want to be known by him. It's amazing to me that, that, that God actually wants to know us deeply. Even though intellectually or informationally, he knows everything about us already, but there's a desire on God's part to know us deeply, to know our hearts. Sometimes we don't want to be known, right? I know that there's been relationships in my life where I don't really want to be fully known by this person. Maybe in the working world when I was working in finance, I don't really want to be truly known by everyone. It's just easier if we can keep this professional or transactional. I share with you what you need to know, and it's a need-to-know basis, right? But Jesus really wants to know everything that's within us, and we have to invite that, right? The only way you can really allow someone to know you is if you invite that person to know you. It's impossible to get to know someone who doesn't want to be known. You may think you know them, but if they're holding back from you, you'll never really know that person, right? It's incredible to me that that's the kind of relationship that, that God wants with us. And so, for me, I think when I get to the end of, of, of my journey, and when, when we finish the race, right, I want to really know that I let God know me. I was hungry to know God, and I gave my best to Him, to my family, and to the communities that I've been a part of. You know, I think that's, that's probably what we all want, right, in, in our spiritual life. There's not much more we can hope for than to, to, to know God deeply, to, to be known by him, and to have given the best to the, the people that, that we love and that love us and those in our communities. So here's three um, principles, if you like, that I wanted to talk about that I think help us on this journey of, of knowing him and living a life of, of no regrets and no reserves. The first is we need to learn to count our days, right? And when I think of someone that lived a life of no regret, I think of Paul. I think of Paul as a great example. You know, he was in prison writing a lot of what we have as the New Testament. And can you imagine just being locked up for being a great Christian, for being a great follower of Jesus, just being locked up in prison for that? But what's interesting is, does he regret it? Is there any point when we read his writings where he says, you know, I wish I hadn't been so bold? I wish I hadn't shared my faith so much. I wish I'd held back a little bit more over here. Maybe I wouldn't be sitting in prison if I just kept my mouth shut a little bit more, right? He doesn't say that. He gave everything he had, and he never looked back because he loved God, and he had overflowing gratitude for God's work in his, old life, in his, in his own life. In um, 2 Timothy 4, he writes this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You know, Paul was acutely aware that his days were numbered. And he was so focused, right, on the prize, on the victor's crown. And I think that brought into his life a sharp focus on on what was really important. I think that brought into his life a freedom to really give his best to God and even a joy that no matter where he's at, even in a dark prison cell, he can have this sense of overflowing joy. But I imagine, you know, Timothy, his, his young mentee, reading this letter in tears knowing that the father um, of his faith someone who he called his father his mentor his teacher was potentially facing death at the hands of an evil emperor right and history says according to eusebius who's a third century uh, christian scholar historian that paul was martyred by emperor nero nero if we know a little bit about him was described as someone who is incredibly corrupt a tyrant evil narcissistic and of course thankfully we have no world leaders like that anymore amen right history even records that he killed his own mother his own mother not his mother-in-law right i mean i'm kidding i'm kidding i have an amazing mother-in-law he killed his own mother and if you guys know a little bit about the history of ancient rome there was this great fire in AD 64, it raged for over a week, and it destroyed two-thirds of ancient Rome. Who did he blame for causing the fire? He blamed the Christians, and it was an opportunity to throw them to the lions, to burn them alive, to crucify them upside down. You know, this was not justice. This was a completely cruel and warped sense um, or, or, or desire for, for just you know evil going on here and uh, you know some sources say that nero even instigated the fire himself so that he could build his vast palace on the destroyed land and he built um the Domum Aurea, the golden house it was so luxurious it was so vast it was so decadent that even subsequent emperors felt it was embarrassing and they started removing all of the gold and ivory and everything that it was lined with We have this incredible contrast going on here when we look at the context. We have Paul sitting in a dark prison cell because of this emperor, yet in his heart just overflowing with joy and gratitude. And we have this emperor who is building his own empire, who's who's powerful, who's evil, sitting in his palace, and I wonder what was going on in his heart. I think we have this contrast here for a reason, I think Paul was trying to teach Timothy, look, do not make this world your home. This world is incredibly broken. It is corrupt. 2,000 years later, we know it hasn't changed in that sense, right? And it's so hard to see the world that way because, on the one hand, we're trying to improve our lives and we're trying to enjoy and and make our lives as comfortable as possible. But we have to go back to this truth that Paul is trying to teach Timothy. And if you read the subsequent chapters after this, he's trying to show Timothy there's going to be dark times ahead, right? Right? And, and, and we have to remember that that um, the greatest joy here in this contrast is not found inside the gold and ivory palace, it's found inside the heart of someone sitting inside a prison cell, talking about how amazing God is and what he's doing and preparing Timothy for that. Someone who lived a life of no reserve, no regret, was a man called William Whiting William Whitting Borden, Uh, lived um, in the uh, 1880s slash early 1900s, born to a prominent and wealthy Chicago family. They were from silver mining money. Um, He was lucky enough to travel the world. He was an early gap year person before gap years were a thing. So he went on a gap year before gap years were cool. I went on a gap year, but they were already cool at that time. He was an early gap year person. And he went traveling around the world and he started going to a church in London and he heard the gospel, and he decided to dedicate his life for Christ. Very smart guy, went to Yale University, and he started um, prayer groups in the university, and it was said that 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale were attending his prayer groups weekly. That's how much impact he had. He was doing like a homeless charity, and he was going out and feeding the homeless daily in New Haven, and one well-traveled English visitor said when he was asked what had most impressed him about America, He replied, the sight of that young millionaire kneeling with his arm around a bum in the Yale Hope Mission, to quote him. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. His intention was to become a missionary to the Uyghur Muslims in northwestern China, but he decided to first study Islam and Arabic in Cairo, boarding with a Syrian family there so that he would hear Arabic spoken as much as possible. He also spent time distributing on the streets Christian sermons written in a Quranic style. In March 1913, he contracted cerebral meningitis and died a few weeks later. He was 25. His mother had actually just arrived from America to vacation with him in the mountains of Lebanon, and she was present for his simple funeral. When the news of his death was cabled back to the US, the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. One of the headlines wrote, a wave of sorrow went around the world today. Borden not only gave away his wealth, But himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice he bequeathed $800,000 to the China inland mission and other Christian agencies Um, there's a memorial hospital in Lanzhou China in his memory following his death his mother found his Bible and inside it were the words no reserve and a date suggesting it had been written shortly after he renounced his fortune in favor of missions Later, he was said to have written no retreat after his father supposedly told him that he would never hold a position in the family business. Finally, shortly before he died in Egypt, he is supposed to have added the phrase no regrets, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. On his grave were inscribed words suggested by Charles Erdman: apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. You know, what an incredible legacy. He died before he even got a chance to do what he hoped to do, right? But here's someone who held back nothing from God. I believe he knew that his time was numbered, his his days were numbered. I believe he was aware of his mortality. The book of Psalms says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we think we're going to live forever, we take things for granted. We take the people that are close to us for granted, friends and families, we also take opportunities in our life for granted, opportunities to say things that that maybe we wish we had said, you know? We think they'll be there, it's okay, there's always another time for this. We need wisdom, why? To prioritize our life, to know what's really important, to know who is really important. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The second, um, sorry, I've been, lying behind it the second point here is um, count your blessings count your blessings Philippians 1 3 to 4 says I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now I love how Paul begins his letters with gratitude with thanksgiving did he have hard times Absolutely. If you know the life of Paul, he went through some incredibly difficult things. Even in this letter, we know that while well, he's in prison, we know that he does share a lot of the struggles he's having. There were people that were ashamed of him because he was in prison. They thought, you know, how could this guy be an apostle of Jesus Christ if he's now in prison? There were people that did him a great deal of harm, like this guy called Alexander the Metalworker. I don't know who it is, but he was not a nice guy apparently. But does he start with that? does he start his prayer with the problem he doesn't he starts with gratitude he starts with God he starts with the people of God how about 2 Timothy 1 I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You know, I wonder when we start our prayers, how often do we start with just thanksgiving, with remembering God's blessings in our life, with remembering the people that have enriched our lives so much. You know, so often we are obsessed with our problems, right? I know that I can be that way, just obsessed with things that are not going well in my life, And my prayer life can become focused on actually the problems. And I'm just looking at problems. And we get so focused on that, that we actually forget the God who is in control, who actually knows the way out from these issues. And and I think, you know, if I could just focus more on God first, and less on the problem, maybe some of those problems, not all of them maybe, but maybe some of the way I feel about those problems might change drastically. You know, we, we, we sometimes go to God later. We don't go to God first. And I look at Paul's prayer life and I see that there was so much he could be complaining about. There was so much that was not going to plan in his life. But yet he was still so grateful. He was still so thankful. He was still so joyous about his relationship with God and about the people that were in his life. How often do we go to God first in our prayer life? and just put the problems aside for the time being and just focus on the one who gives us love and comfort and healing and peace and joy and revisit the problems once we've actually gone to Jesus first, you know? I think that's something that I've just been trying to learn to do in my own prayer life. Sometimes just being silent and then just trying to think of what I'm grateful for and who God is to me. Again, I I like this, this passage in Philippians 4 here. paul knew the secret it's a shame he didn't tell us what that was no i'm kidding we we know we know what he's getting at here the secret is stop focusing on the situation and the circumstances and focus more on god first because when you are right with god when you are experiencing him when you are actually overflowing with the, the the joy and the peace that comes from him actually contentment will come from there It's not gonna come by you looking at your circumstances and and trying to focus on those. And I'm just gonna be grateful for what I have. I'm just gonna focus on what I have. So often it doesn't work. We have to go to God and look at him and see, who is he to me? How How has my life changed since I've really known him? What am I grateful for right now? Because I know him, right? And that actually is what allows us, I think, to be content. So often we are comparing ourselves to others right? And comparison is the thief of joy. When we compare our lives to others, it's, it's just never ending, right? I'd much rather compare my life with who I was six months ago or six years ago than compare my life with someone completely different to me. That's not comparing apples to apples, is it? You know, that person's life is different to my person's life, but my journey with God, I can look back and see where I'm at today, and that can be quite fruitful. Can we be content With knowing him can we be content with with what he's what knowing him has led us to have in him can we count our blessings finally can we count the cost we need to learn to count the cost too once we've counted our days and counted our blessings we need to learn to count the cost and paul does that with timothy in uh 2 timothy 4 over here In the presence of god and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom i give you this charge preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul was preparing Timothy for what a life is like following Jesus. He didn't say it was going to be easy or that it was going to be comfortable. In fact, Paul's very own life reflected just how challenging it can be to be a follower of Jesus. You know, Paul really walked in Jesus' footsteps, and the book of Luke and the book of Acts actually paint kind of this parallel picture of of Jesus and Paul, right? They were both written by the same author, by by Luke. And it's interesting, just some of the, the parallels when you look at them, you know, in the book of Luke, Jesus receives a good reception, and people praise God for what they've seen. Paul also receives a good reception, and God is glorified for the good things done among the Gentiles. There's a time where a mob seizes Jesus, there's a time in Acts where a mob seizes Paul. Jesus is slapped by the priest's assistant. Paul is slapped by the, the high priest's assistant. There were four trials of Jesus the Sanhedrin, Pilate, uh, Herod, and then Pilate again. There are four trials of Paul the Sanhedrin, Felix, Festus, and then King Agrippa. There are several other events in Jesus' life that kind of mirror over to, to Paul's life. And Paul had already counted the cost in his own life and knew what it would mean to walk in Jesus's footsteps. I wonder for us today, are we seeking seeking comfort more than we're seeking to be in the footsteps of Christ? You know, it shouldn't always be easy. It's not always going to be aligned with the culture around us. Not everyone is going to be happy when we are trying to follow Jesus. Although if everyone is unhappy, that may also not be a good sign. But <laughs> but you cannot please everyone, right? Following Jesus, we know that. There's been times for me in the past year and a half, and, and these may be through my own shortcomings too, but there have been people in my ministry who I've been trying to help, who I've been trying to work with, who I've been trying to love, who have turned around and say they don't want that anymore. In fact, they start sharing things about me to others which are hurtful. And I'm trying to to love and to help this person in the way that i see best and maybe it's not always the best way but my intentions i feel were good it hurts it's not always going to be easy i think it's not always going to be the results that we hope for i like this arab proverb sunshine without rain is the recipe for a desert we know as christians that it's those difficult times those times where we face failure or rejection or defeat, that that actually produces something very important for us, right, in our spiritual journey. You know, if life is without problems, that can also be a problem for us too. <laughs> but it is hard to have that perspective when we're facing challenges. This gives me courage, Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. God has actually prepared something amazing for us, where there will be no pain, where there will be no suffering, but are we willing to walk in Jesus's footsteps until we get there? Can we endure hardship? Can we face the challenges of really following Jesus and, and, and living out his calling for us? You know, living in Indonesia has presented many challenges and many difficult situations. And there's been, very, there's been several moments where I've been completely out of my depth and completely lost, you know? But I'd say one of the scariest moments living there um, was the birth of our first child, Ollie. So we decided to have Ollie in Indonesia. And long story short, there was some complications. Sonia had a C-section, and uh, she went into recovery after the C-section. She had no prior symptoms of anything abnormal or anything you know that should be of concern. Um, and it was the middle of the night. We tried to have a natural birth, it didn't work out. It was now midnight plus. And the baby came out, Ollie came out, he was fine, he was healthy, but Sonia had these migraines, these terrible migraines, and her blood pressure started to, to go up to alarmingly high levels. And you know, I'm not a doctor, I come from a family of doctors. My sister is a gynecologist from the UK, so I'm on the phone with her, and at this point the doctor has gone home, because it's so late. And so they just have kind of the, the, you know, the bare skeleton of staff in the hospital at this point, and it's kind of the nurses, In Indonesia, the nurses are not as qualified and educated as the senior doctors are. So I'm on the phone with my sister at this point, saying, is this okay that her blood pressure is this high and that she's having these kind of migraines? And she was kind of like, not really. Like, you need to get this medicine right now and feed it there now. So I'm telling the nurse what medicine should be being administered to my wife right now while she's complaining of these headaches. And so the blood pressure came down a little bit. We went to sleep, and at 2 or 3 a.m., I hear this rattling from the bed. And I was like, Sonia, are you okay? And I, and I got up and I saw that she was having a seizure. And I don't know if you've seen someone have a seizure, but it is very scary. It's the first time I've seen someone have a seizure. And her eyes were rolled back in her head and her mouth was kind of you know, foaming. And I screamed for the nurse to come in. The nurse came in. You know, when a medical person comes in, you want them to make you feel kind of calm, that everything's okay. She looked more scared than me. And so she pulls this alarm. I don't know what you call it in a hospital. There's like a code something, right? And, and so it sends out this alarm, and then you have doctors coming up from the ER who don't know the patient, and they look puzzled, and they're not really sure what to do either. And so they bring out a heart rate monitor, right? And at this point, you know, I'm, I can't do anything. I'm, I've never felt so powerless in my life looking at this situation, right? And so they're trying to hook up this heart rate monitor. And I don't really know what they're doing, but all I see is a screen that's flatlining like you see in the movies, right? It turns out that the heart rate monitor was not working at that point yet. But what I see on the screen is a flatlining monitor, my wife having a seizure, and I've never felt so out of my depth in a foreign country where, yes, I can speak the language, but I can't really do anything about the situation. I remember dropping to my knees at that point, and I've never prayed so hard in my life for such a short time, but I said, God, take anything you want. You know, you start dealing with God when you get into these situations. You're like, take me or take the child, maybe take the child first, Um, (laughs) but just save her, you know, just anything. I will start with nothing, like anything I have, take it. And I prayed and, you know, I got up from that prayer and Sonia's eyes had come back to normal. And it was like her waking up from a nap and she was like, what happened? And I was like, nothing, don't worry just uh, having a nap, Um, and and so the doctor comes rushing back, and and thank God she was fine. There was no lasting effects of that. There was no impact from that seizure, and Ollie was obviously healthy as well. And it was a moment of sheer surrender, and it was a moment of, of realizing just how fragile life is and how in a moment anything you have can be taken away from you, and yet you come away just so grateful for what you have. And I would have done anything. I would have gone to Africa as a missionary. I would have done anything. I would have made a deal in that moment to sign my life away. Do you know what I'm saying? But God took us out, and he, he taught me something really powerful through that, that what I have right now I should be extremely grateful for. And the life that we have, we should just use it to, to glorify God. You know, Maybe we're not going to be a William Whitting Borden and, and go to that extremes, but how can we, in our life right now, live a life of no reserve and no regret, where we feel we've held nothing back, we've left nothing on the table, and God is using us? I believe if we have that heart, God is going to unleash amazing things through, through this group of people right here. I'm very excited to move back and to see what God can do through, through all of us to learn from one another and just to experience and know God together. So thank you for letting me share today. And I'm going to ask Sonia to come up and close us out. And, uh, and so, is my wife, Sonia. Hi.
1: Thanks for letting um, me share. I think, um, just wanted to share, uh, TJ said, oh, can you condense maybe things that we've learned the past seven years in Indonesia? And I was like, that's really hard, but I'm gonna try. Um, so I, I thought of two things. I thought personally, um, I think for counting, uh, the point of counting blessings, I felt like many times in the scripture, Paul reminds, me and you know the church to give thanks. Specifically in Colossians two, he links maturity in Christ um, as one of the products of overflowing in, in thankfulness. And TJ and I felt that we cannot live a life of gratitude if we don't have a culture of reflection in our family. This the start of this year was actually a very fairly uncertain season in our life, and we were too busy figuring out our future, too busy with work. I was doing. The same amount of work with an infant as well, um, as well as Ali. And in our free time, we had so much on our plate that we triggered each other and argued and only felt more exhausted. And obviously, um, overflowing with thankfulness takes reflection on what to be thankful for. Um, this could be done as I washed the dishes or did seemingly menial tasks, uh, but my mind instead would just easily wonder to what to do next. And there's a time and place for that, but not during the time carved out specifically to connect with TJ. And so we appreciate our mentors that talked us through these stressful times and reminded us to prioritize reflection. So when I think of life to the full and counting my blessings, I really think of of us and our having that that gratitude, being purposeful about that in our relationship. I appreciate the sisters for calling me 10, 15 minutes uh, every week just to to catch up and to pray together. moving here just the process I felt like you know what one thing we don't want to compromise on is our times with God and our times with each other and circumstances can change but like what TJ said when we focus on God we can learn to be more united mindful and content with the church this was something we learned as we um, personally in our ministry as it grew and as it blossomed but uh, within the ministry, learning as we, we led these people, God gave us a chance to lead them. This is, what, um, this is our little group seven years ago. And by God's grace, this is them now, uh, our family back home. Uh, with the church, I think, I w- like I said, like, what on earth could you say after seven years and trying to condense it in two minutes? But I just learned that a life of no regret means to love unconditionally essentially how to be a Christ-like friend. I thought I was a loving person. And then I was asked to lead a ministry of opinionated young people like me. Uh, I had much to learn about friendship. And honestly, the journey that God took us on with this ministry was amazing. But with them, we have never stopped le- uh, like, seeing the need to learn how to love. And I think God has, is continually teaching us that. So many people with so many backgrounds, there was never a formula to help someone that came to us to ask for help, never a formula to, to um, essentially help them to get from point A to point B, right? Everyone was so special. But we use that opportunity to learn from our mentors around us about how to help couples that we're facing uh, like that we're in a state of wanting to get a divorce, be reconciled or seeing people that were struggling in deep addiction uh, come out of that and really see Jesus in their life. We wanted to learn from them and really um, implement that in this community. And so I think honestly what we saw was true Christ-like friendship built bonds of of honest love in, in, world, in a world and place with young professionals that is often so lonely and so deprived of love. So honestly, just the past seven years, I learned to love unconditionally. Um, isn't that what Jesus called his disciples, friends, the end of his life, you know? And isn't that how the world will know that we're his followers? Is to love uh, friendship and seeing the truth come to life. So for the sake of time, I wanted to share a story, but just want to be mindful of that. But that's what, for me, I learned in my personal life with TJ and then with our ministry. Thanks,
0: let's close in a prayer let's close up father god we're just grateful lord that we have the opportunity to live a life where we can look back in and even though we have probably made so many mistakes we can live a life with no regret we can live a life knowing that we gave our best to you father we gave our heart to you lord and um in the end of the day father it's just about being one with you that going through life with you having a relationship where we really know you god and I just pray, Lord, that that, that can, can overflow to, to gratitude, to love for others, to, to, to the way that Paul really set the example, Father, that had this overflowing joy even in the midst of, of extremely difficult situations, Lord. I don't know what we're going through right now, today, uh, around this room. I'm not sure what struggles we're facing. I pray, Lord, that we can look to you. I pray that we can find you as the source of, of comfort and joy and peace and work with you, Lord, to, to find the solutions to, to whatever situations we're in, Father. Thank you for this family. Thank you for today. We can worship you. We can learn together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.